what's happened this week between me and God. He's been talking to me a lot. Uh, it's been a lot of uh, escalation going to happen within this ministry and within my life personally. Um, he's been kind of pushing me and in a gentle way letting me know if I've anointed, anointed you for something and I've called you to do it, what are you waiting on? And I think that applies to a lot of people here. Um, a lot of times we feel like we're doing good in the Lord in our personal lives, but we're not doing anything to pour back out what's been poured into us. And when Jesus said to drink of this well and you'll thirst no more, that's kind of what he's talking about. Uh, if we're living that, that way, we are, we are leading people to that well, we'll have infinite amount to pour back out. But here recently, one of the things the Word also talks about is getting a new wineskin. And that is a preparation, a personal time between you and the Lord in the Word and in prayer to prepare you to receive more of Him, deeper knowledge of Him, and more understanding. And a lot of the times that comes with this Word called pruning. And Jesus talks about this in one of His parables, and He talks about this in just, uh, just blatantly as well. Uh, but if you don't know anything about gardening, if you don't know anything about having a garden or, uh, or uh, for vegetables, flowers, or whatever, there's this process called pruning. And what it does is, if you look at uh, tomatoes, for instance, once it gets a certain size, you're going to notice this huge, thick branch and a bunch of branches coming off of it. Some branches are producing fruit, some aren't. Now, the, so the, the branches that aren't producing fruit, there's nothing wrong with them. They're not dead. But what they're doing is they're drawing resources from the base plant to produce nothing. And so what has to happen is those have to be cut off so they stop taking resources from the branches that's actually producing fruit. That's called pruning. But what happens is the branches that were producing fruit start to produce more. Now, another part of pruning is when you have a branch that produces fruit, but not quite big. It's not quite ripening like it should, like a tomato staying green for too long when everything else has turned red. That needs to be cut as well. Because what happens is three more tomatoes in its place that are going to grow in the right way, the right size, and the right quickness take over. So what it is is an exponential multiplication of the intended purpose of this plant and while you're, and why you're even growing it in the first place, which is to what? Reap of this tomato plant. Now, we are the same way. We are, we are these, these branches. And so we have to understand when we're being pruned, it's a good thing. But what happens to the tomato plant when you prune it? You are literally cutting something off of it, something that it grew, but it's not producing fruit. God does the same thing. What in our lives isn't producing fruit that God wants to prune for us? When I was preaching about the glory to glory, it was the two, two preaches ago. <laughs> One of the things he was showing me, and he's been showing me ever since, because everything he has me preach, he's teaching me as well. It's something he wants for me. Every word he gives me is for me, and I don't want it any other way. I can't stand here and be a hypocrite and preach something that I already know where I'm not living or that's not active in my life. It would not be fruitful because if the Lord is teaching me, that means the Holy Spirit is the one leading me in it as I follow Christ. And if the Holy Spirit isn't in it, I don't want it. If the Holy Spirit is not in what he's teaching me and what I'm preaching, I don't want it. I'd rather sit down and be quiet for two hours. And hopefully you would, too, because that is what? Fruitless. So with that being said, when we ask God, and I hope a lot of you guys are doing this. I've preached on it multiple times, and even outside of preaching, I've talked about this multiple times, especially people close to me. When Paul said, well, I should go back a little bit. No, I'll start there. When Paul said that he doesn't judge or search his own heart, he said he's not, he's not qualified to do it. The word also says that the heart is, is, is more deceitful above all things. 
The rest of that verse says, who can understand? The word says that. And so when our heart's deceitful, who are we to judge it? Who are we to search our own hearts? Who do we think we are? Well, I know my heart. No, you don't. You do not know your heart. The word says so. But it says the one who searches the heart of man and God is the Holy Spirit. So what should we do? Earlier this week, my wife posted in our message group, uh, our, our ministry message group, she posted a Bible verse in uh, Psalms, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in Psalms. Uh, 20, what was it? 21? I can't remember. Anyways, but when he was talking about one of the things he said is that he prays to God to reveal to him unintentional sin. Now, to a lot of people, that's an excuse. That's a, that's a cop-out, get-out-of-jail-free card. No, it's not. It is absolutely not. What David is showing here is his heart for God. He's saying, if there's anything in me that needs to go that I'm not even aware of, God, show it to me and I will repent for it as you show me the right way. Now, if you're not praying that, I'm going to challenge you to go ahead and pray that every day. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and reveal it to you. God already knows your heart. He's the only one who does. If you're not asking God that, you might be asking some of these questions. Why is this one problem in my life still here? Why is this problem in my marriage still here? Why am I having a hard time in prayer? Why am I having a hard time in my word? I'm reading the same paragraph over and over, and it's not because the Holy Spirit's trying to teach me something. I'm saying that because uh, this week God had me read 1 Corinthians chapter 9 seven times in one day until I got it, and I still don't all the way, I don't get it all the way yet. It's still teaching me that I did get a lot from it. It was one of those verses you read through. It makes so much little sense. You're like, I'm just going to keep going. And if the Lord wants me to go back, I will. Instantly, the Holy Spirit said, go back and reread it. He did it seven times throughout the day. So if you're not asking the Holy Spirit to reveal your heart, there might be something in the way hindering God in your life. There might be something in the way telling the Holy Spirit to go away. It could be something in your life that's been there so long. A way of thinking is one of the biggest things here. It stops the Holy Spirit from being able to talk to you in the way he wants. So if you're not daily asking the Lord to reveal your heart to you, there might be a hindrance. Because if we go back to David, and God even said, and we know David for what? Being after God's own heart. David had a love for God that was immense. And he's asking God, show me something in me that offends you that I'm not even aware of. And some people will say, well, that, well, I was just ignorant. Not if you know. The word ex ex exposes you to yourself. The word of God is really a mirror in a lot of ways. So if the word of God is telling you you should be doing this and you're not, and you're wondering why your life isn't doing everything and all these promises of God and all these scriptures of God that you're quoting over yourself and something's still stopping you, something isn't quite breaking through, that might be why. So we'll start with what the Lord put on me. While, while he had me go, but going back over 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that's not even what I'm preaching on. I might uh, brush up here and there on a few verses in there, but it goes over a lot. But one of the things he, one of the things he showed me in regards to how I opened today is he wanted me to title this. And I'm not big on titles. I'm not big on showmanship. I don't like uh, these little limericks that, that rhyme. And people, oh, that's good, pastor. For one, I'm not a pastor. Two, I don't need to entertain you. That's not my job. My job is to be a servant. And I'm supposed to speak what the Holy Spirit tells me to speak out of this word of God. And when I say that, I'm going to say this. If you do not believe the word of God is infallible and 100% correct, you are not a Christian. You just like some of the nuances and characteristics of these Bible characters. You do not love Jesus. I can promise you that Jesus said so. He said, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. If you don't believe this, you're not going to follow it. Why would you? This Bible, this, this faith, this religion tells you this. 
You're wrong in your flesh. Your flesh wants you dead. And it goes against every bit of human nature that we have. Every bit of naturalness of how we operate as humans, what we want, what we're after, what we hunger for, what we lust for, what we're greedy for. This word goes against every bit of it. That might be one of the reasons that it kind of proves itself that it's not of this world because it goes against everything we naturally desire without God. In this whole Bible, most of it to the Christians, especially in the New Testament, is telling you what you should not do and what you should not want. While it equally tells you what you should do. Some Christians are really, really good at not doing things. So they just sit and wonder why their faith is dried up. Like a grape sitting in the sun for too long, what does it do? It turns into a raisin. We still eat those, right? What happens if it stays in the sun? It rots. It becomes rock hard, inedible, useless. You can't even plant it. You can't do anything with it. But then we have people who do nothing but do. These Christians who read the word, oh, I want to do this, I want to do this. And they never ask the Holy Spirit, what is your will, Father? Now that sounds confusing. Ask the Holy Spirit, Father, what's your will? That's how you talk to God, ask Jesus. He said it all the time. That's how you talk to the Father. And so many people are out there and they're just wasting so much time and they're they're planting a seed and then they're running over here planting another seed and they're planting another seed, but they didn't cultivate the soil. They didn't pray over it. They didn't water it. They didn't, they didn't ask God, what's your will for my life? I can promise you this. If one man tried to do every ministry in this Bible, he would die at the age of 35 of exhaustion, literally. And if you look back in the huge healing era in the early 1900s, I beg you. And you look at the early 1900s, there were these people who were extremely gifted in the gift of healing. Thousands of people a day going in and out of this house, cancers, I mean, missing limbs, regrowing. It was insane. It was crazy. And they were dying at the age of 30 from exhaustion because they weren't sleeping. They weren't eating. They weren't resting. They were trying to do so much, they never stopped to say God. They forgot God and were going off with his gifts. What happens when a life force gets too disattached from its life source? What happens when a fruit gets detached from its life source? I can grow tomatoes like we were talking about before. But and it's beautiful and it's red, it's ripe, it's ready for picking. And the second I pick it, what happens? It starts to die. The second I pick it, so I, got, I have a time I need to eat it. Right? Because otherwise I've just taken it from its life source. I cannot give it life. I gave it life by planting and watering in me. I pray over my garden. That's how I gave it life. But the second the fruit was ready, I picked it to eat. But the second you pick it, it starts to die. So you can get these gifts from God. You can, you can hear these things that God said, oh, he gave me this ministry. You can get these prophetic words over your life. And I'm not going against the prophetic. That's why I'm here. And but we can get all these things. And the second we disconnect from the life source, we're dead. And you may be glorifying God in these gifts and in, in, in these ministries and in these, uh, these, these spiritual powers, if you want to call them that, but they're all of the Holy Spirit for him, by him, for the body, for the equipping of the saints. That's Ephesians 14 through 16, if you want to get a little bit more into that. You can also go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But this is what the Lord is telling me. He said, Chase, when this pruning starts to happen, it's because I'm removing parts of your life that bear no fruit. Now, who knows what happens when Jesus was hungry and went up to the adult fig tree, the mature fig tree. What happened? It had no fruit. It should have, but it did not. What did Jesus do? He cursed it. He touched it and cursed it. 
and left. And on his way back, the tree had withered and died. That sounds harsh, but let's go ahead and pay attention here for a second. For what God does here, everything God does is for what? A purpose. Whether that's to show you how much he loves you, whether it's to bless your life because you're his in Christ, whether it is to raise somebody else up through you or to raise yourself up or to lead you to repentance through kindness and mercy. But he also, you have to understand, Jesus still was talking about the vineyard. He said, I am the vine and who's the, who's the father? He's the one who takes care of it. And you don't, and what happens, what do we start off with this tomato plant? What happened? If you do not bear fruit, you are pruned and you are cast aside to be burned. Now, this isn't me to sit here and warn but oh, everybody should be afraid you don't have fruit. No, you should start asking the Holy Spirit to start pruning you. And the Lord led me to something today that I've read, and it's kind of messed me up a little bit. And the reason it messed me up, because the, what it, you, <laughs> the best way to know if something's from the Holy Spirit is the only person you can think of is yourself. The Holy Spirit is not going to come to you and say, this person's living this, 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 this sin. Will he give you discernment? Yes, he sure will. To pray for them and to intercede for them and maybe even have to speak a word to them in correction but in love. He may even do that, but 99% of the time when the Holy Spirit's telling you something through the word, it's for you. If you're reading the word to get at somebody else, you might as well close it. You're not going to get anything from God. Your heart's wrong. I can promise you nobody who's reading this word of God is Jesus. That's the only one who can do that. He was the only one who could cast a stone and still didn't. John 3.17 answers that, but I'm not getting into that. What the Lord showed me today was a, a version of pruning. That was, <laughs> it made me laugh because I got spiritually slapped and I needed it. Not that God's out to slap me in the face, but he's there to wake me up. What happens when somebody don't snap out of a, a hectic, chaotic, you know, tantrum moment, whether you slap them. So wake up. And they do. So, oh, thanks for that. You know, how many times you've seen that in cartoons, videos, movies? That's what happened to me with the Holy Spirit the past couple of days. He showed me this, and then I said, Lord, is this what you want me to preach on? You know what he told me? Nothing. I'm like, okay. And then yesterday I asked him again. He said, Chase, why, why do you have to ask me every time? If I told you this, if I'm the one who revealed this to you, if it's pertinent for you, is it not pertinent? For everyone, I said, well, not everything. Some things are just personal. He said, but did you not see the body of Christ in this? I said, yes. He said, then preach it. So again, I'm going through pruning too. And I would be a liar and a hypocrite if I said I didn't. I had no business being up here speaking to anyone. If I'm going to sit here and tell you I have no pruning to do, no sanctification, that's a liar. And the ones who say they don't need it, they need it. They, I can promise you they need it more than just about anybody they're talking to. Just about but this is what the Lord showed me. This is what he told me. He said, you're not your own. He's just talking to the church. This is what the Lord told me. You're not your own. You're a holy temple, cleaned, washed, and redeemed in the blood of Christ. You were once dead in your sins, and now you've been crucified with Christ in your spirit and your soul, been resurrected with him as well. However, you were spiritually dead in your sins, whilst your sins were alive and flourishing through you. Now that we have put away our old selves and new creation in Jesus, how is it that sin still seems to have a hold? The first scripture God brought me to, this is all in 1 Corinthians, but we're going to jump some chapters here. The first thing he brought up was uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. If you have your Bible, want to open up, you can. If you're ready to go, just raise your hand. Okay, we'll go. Don't, don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary 
and that the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him. For God's sanctuary is holy, and that is what you are. That is not an emotional statement. Do you understand that the, the cross bought so much more than just the death of sins in your life? It changed you. His blood created us in us a temple to house the presence of God before we had the temples, which housed what? On Easter, I preached on this a little bit. The Holy of Holies, which the high priest went in once a year. But in the Holy of Holies, what was contained? The Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God. But see, when the veil was torn through Christ on that cross and through the resurrection, his blood cleansed us and made us whole, white as snow. Our sins as far as from the east in the, to, is to the west. Our sins cast into a sea of forgetfulness. But there's a purpose. It's not just to get to heaven. If that was the purpose of the cross, was just to get us to heaven, the second you get saved, he'd take you. If that was the purpose, he'd take your life right then and there, boom, in heaven. Why not, right? You can't, I mean, the second you get saved, you can't sin again. Not if he takes you right then. So why are you still here? So when the blood has cleansed us, we became a temple. And I can prove it. Jesus said this temple will be destroyed and rebuilt in three days. Jesus housed the Holy Spirit, and he lived blameless before the Father. And as he lived blameless before the Father and housed the Holy Spirit, he came to accomplish that for us. Jesus came to make us like him. We could not before. The Holy Spirit did well on people before, especially in the Old Testament, but it was a rare occasion. If you read 1 Samuel, it even says that Samuel was being raised to become a prophet by Eli. It even says that the word of God was rare in those days. Who here hears the voice of God? I sure do. Especially in my prayer time when I'm reading the word, I hear the Holy Spirit talking to me. And I know it's not me because a lot of the time it's correction. But it's loving, it's sweet, and it's uplifting and encouraging. Did you know you used to have to wait 20 to over 100 years to hear anything from God? Did you know how long was it before the end, the last book of the New Testament, Malachi? To the first. To the first book of the New Testament, which is Matthew. 400 years. 400 years without a prophet hearing anything, without anybody saying a word. Everybody was just living as faithful as they could in a silent standstill, for they did not know who was about to walk on this earth. And he came to make all things new. And me and my old sin, me and this old man, I could not house the Holy Spirit as intended. But the cross was so much more than just dying for our sins. It was actually making us a clean temple to house now what? The presence of God in us. So now we have to understand as precious as this is, if you're having trouble with that one thing, and a lot of people, when I say that trouble with that one thing in your private lives or in your marriage or, or family, whether personal or not, you already know, you already got it in your head. You know what it is. If there's not, if, if you know, there, there could be more than one. It doesn't matter what it is. But you know something's popping in your head when I say it. The reason it's popping into your head is because the Holy Spirit is trying to dwell within you fully. And I'm going to say something that a lot of people don't preach because it makes people feel bad. But I'm going to tell you because the Lord's been showing me it is possible. (laughs) 
If Jesus didn't completely die on the cross for your sins, if he did not come to destroy the works of the enemy, then me telling you, you can live a holy life and not constantly sinning every day and then repenting for it over and over. Jesus lied if you don't think you can do that. If he either came and destroyed the works of the enemy and he was victorious in it or he didn't. Stop making excuses. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. And this is why I was talking about pruning before we get into here. I'm going to read this one more time before I really dive in. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him. For God's sanctuary is holy and that is what you are. Go look at the Old Testament. Every single kingdom that it destroyed a temple of God was wiped from this earth. But he's talking to you. You do not belong to yourself. If you think you do, you better just go ahead and get up and walk out. You better close your Bible and not open it up again because you're ignoring it. Your body is not yours. Are you married? Let me explain to you whose body, who owns your body. First and foremost, God. Second, your spouse. Nowhere in this Bible does it say you own your own body. However, you are responsible for making it obedient unto God and unto this word. We're going to go a little bit further here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 13 through 20. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will do away with both of them. The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will raise, and also raise us, us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? So should I take part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh. He's talking about sex. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual immorality. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body. On the contrary, the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This message is not about sexual immorality, but that still rings true. Did you know when you marry somebody, you're not one flesh and spirit with them until you have sex? Consummation means to finish, by the way. It means to complete. One of the biggest problems that I have seen in my own life and what I have seen in many, many people's lives, they think if they're not drinking, doing drugs, or watching porn, they're good. Wrong. Are you overweight? This isn't about weight. But listen, are you overweight? Do you feel like crap all the time? Do you have a hard time getting out of bed? Do you take care of yourself? Do you try and do you take care of yourself for what? So you can look in the mirror and enjoy what you see or do you do it because your body isn't yours and you will glorify him in that? Why are you even taking care of yourself? Because we see it a lot. These people start to do these bodybuilder stuff and my goodness, they take more pictures of themselves than anybody I've ever seen in my life. Half naked men and women both posing and stuff, showing off their muscles because they love how they look. They're not doing it to honor God. It's not your body. It is not yours. Why do you think God says to the wives, do not withhold yourselves from your husband? And likewise, husbands, do not withhold yourselves from your wives. Why does he say that? It's not yours. 
When you make a covenant between God and the blood of Christ and you follow him daily, you have given that up and surrendered it to him to receive the Holy Spirit. And when you have made a covenant before God to your spouse, you have given up and surrendered your life and will to support and serve them. The two greatest covenants. The first one is between us and God. And the second is what? Marriage. Why? God said so. It was the first covenant he made. It was marriage. So the greater the covenant, the greater the promise, the less you are and the more of a servant you're supposed to be. There's a lot of people who try to take care of themselves and see them feel like they're failing. There's a lot of people who try to take care of themselves for themselves. There's a lot of people who succeed at it. But my goodness, they're miserable. Watch them at dinner time. Look at their faces all scrounged up because they can't eat more than half the stuff there. That, in my, in my interpretation, is like the spirit of religion when it comes to taking, a, taking care of your body. You're not using common sense. You're trying to keep it perfect. You're not supposed to keep it perfect. You're supposed to be in line and walking with the Holy Spirit to achieve sanctification. So I want to ask you a few questions. How many people here have had problems with their body? And I'm not talking about just wait. How many people here have been ingesting things that are bad for them? I used to drink all the time. How many people here don't get enough sleep? How many people here won't go to bed on time? How many people here make excuses for it? I'm leaving my hand up for a purpose because I'm, I'm admitting. I'm not trying, trying to be an example. I'm admitting my own faults. How is that taking care of yourself? How are you honoring God in that? He said, don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit? This is not some second world view. This isn't some, oh, that's a good thought. It's not some symbolism. He's literally telling you Christ's blood made your body a temple. He's literally telling you that your body is to house the Holy Spirit. He literally says up here in chapter 3, he said God, he said God will destroy him if anybody destroys the sanctuary. For God's sanctuary is holy and that is what you are. Why are you holy? The blood made you holy. And if you're holy, what does that mean? You are cleansed to house the presence of God. Sin could not be in the old temples. They could not be. God said, I will not dwell among you if you do not keep my commands and statutes. Now, God, this is not to put everybody on a short leash here. This is for you to put yourself on one and to walk in self-control, which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So now you have to ask yourself this. Am I making excuses to live in gluttony? Am I making excuses to love what I look like and lust after my own self? That doesn't mean you sexually want yourself, but you're lusting after what you see. Are you lusting after the numbness as you destroy your body? Because that's what I did with alcohol. It's all glutton. It's all feeling something one way or another to get some affirmation that's not of God. Why isn't anybody, why isn't all these Christians seeking the affirmation of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27. Don't you know that runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away, but we a crown that will never fade. Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He's not talking about being a hypocrite. Do you want to be used of God? Have you asked him, Lord, use me? 
for your will, use me for your purpose? Have you asked him to do that? A lot of people have, but they're not willing to do this. Get myself under strict control. We call that self-control. The word says that's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So if you're having a trouble with that, you don't understand why God's not using you. Oh, my pastors just won't let me preach. I just, I'm waiting for a platform. Oh, I'm going to try to join this church because they got a big platform. That's what you're seeking. That's your heart talking because that'll be a bunch of the heart, the mouth speaks. You're seeking a platform to be seen and hopefully probably get paid for it. But you're not willing to do this in private. Get yourself under control. Now, in you and yourself, you can't do it, but you can with the Holy Spirit. And there are people who have made excuses for it. Jesus, I'm going to talk about it. This is where people are going to even get even more offended at this. But if you get offended at this, take it up with God. I'm just reading the Bible. If you don't like it, tough. Sorry. Fasting. Fasting was a command of Jesus. He said to pray and fast at all times. Find times for it. If you're waiting for God to tell you to fast, you'll never do it. You're waiting for a push, which means you have never purposely made a step of faith to obey God. You're waiting for him to push you down the hallway. You've already failed because your heart's wrong towards it. Your heart towards it has been, Lord, I'll obey. No, you're going to you're saying, God, please push me because I don't have the self-control. I do not have the, the obedience and I do not have the lowering of myself to surrender to you to do what you've already told me to do. Why are you asking God? To say, Lord, when do you think I should fast? Jesus said to do it at all times. He's already given you an answer. Stop asking for answers that this word already gives you. It's called the word of God because it's his word. And if you find yourself having a hard time stopping to eat bad foods or like me, I'm going to be honest here, ingesting ridiculous amounts of caffeine every day just to try to get through it, I might be needing to sit down. If I'm needing that much caffeine, for one, that's bad for me. It's bad for your heart. So much chemicals and stuff in there. I'm not saying caffeine's bad. I was ingesting way too much. Two to three energy drinks worth. But I never stopped and asked myself, why do I need that much caffeine? Because I'm overdoing it, trying to earn God in my life. That's religion. You can't do that. You can just obey. God corrected me with this. He said, why are you doing that to yourself? Maybe if you're feeling tired, you need to come rest in me. I got something to tell you. Not just at certain times you think it's a good time. Sometimes I need you when you don't think it's time to. I have scheduled times to spend time with God every day. Nothing wrong with that at all. That's part of self-control. Sometimes God wants more. And if you're running yourself ragged, that's part of not being in control. I've got kids. I've got two, two toddlers. I've got a third one on the way. I get it. But there's no excuse in here for that. Just like there's no excuse when it says do not withhold yourself from your spouse sexually. Why? God didn't say, oh, well, unless you have kids, or unless you have a headache, or unless you've had a hard day, or that's not in the word of God because he doesn't buy it. It's not an excuse. You don't get to make excuses. Oh, well, I love that food. It's my favorite kind. Get your body under control. You do not live for food. I'm going to read it again. 1 Corinthians 6, 13 through 20. For food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will do away with both of them. The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Your body has a purpose. It was bought with a price. It is not to fulfill whatever you want. Just because it's not alcohol, just because it's not drugs, doesn't mean you can just overindulge in it. Do you feel like horrible all the time and no energy, no strength? You're not taking care of yourself. Why? You cannot serve God dead. Ooh, thank you, Lord. This is not even my notes. 
If somebody wants to go with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is going to make, this is good. This made me uncomfortable. A lot of people don't understand this. Have you ever wondered why you've seen people in church, you've seen leaders in church, you've seen, you've seen prayer teams, you've seen gifted people having hard times seeing people get healed? Have you had a hard time seeing the Lord move on somebody when you have prayed for years and years and years? Have you had a hard time seeing fruit come out and yet you're seeing these leaders getting sick and dying early and about, well, maybe it's just the Lord's time. Maybe. Maybe they're not being obedient. I can prove it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, all the way through. Now in giving the following instructions, I do not praise you. This is, the, this is a letter from Paul to the church of Corinth. He's already had to berate them and correct them pretty much the whole time because of how they're living. It's terrible. <laughs> I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that you come together as a church. There are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. There must indeed be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper ahead of others. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, This is the cup of the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So a man should examine himself in this way, he should eat bread and drink from the cup for whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you and many have fallen asleep. That's Paul's sweet way of saying dead, by the way. If we were properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. And I will give instruction about the other matters whenever I come. That's how he ends that. Let that sink in for a second. That should show you a few things. Communion that we've seen. I grew up with it. Understand it for the most part as a kid, especially. It happens once, maybe a month, maybe two, three months. Pass out the little crackers and the little, little grape cups. Sometimes it's a little more, you know, so as Catholic Church love to use like the big actual break baked bread and, and stuff like that and the actual wine. And it has its semblance, it has its semblance, and Jesus said to do it. He said to do it in remembrance of me, my body being broken for you, and the drink being his blood as the new covenant that we are under, which started this whole sermon today. But what he's saying is this. It's not supposed to happen like that. He said, when you come together to eat, it should be in remembrance of Jesus. It's not a once a year thing. It's not a once a week thing. It's as you come together. See, we all know that we should have some kind of blessing over our food. We all do it. It's not in the Bible. 
actually. The blessing of one's food. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for our food. Amen. A lot of people get this from the Lord's Prayer, which says we give our thanks for this daily bread. And that's where they get that from. But we're, that's, Jesus is just showing you to be thankful in prayer. But when we, was, when we look at this, he's telling you when you eat, it should be even in self-control. Because there's a purpose when you eat. And it's in remembrance of him. That is what you should be praying at every meal. He didn't say, oh, well, you know, when you have that special time, once a month or every couple of months, once a year, you know, when you think about it. He's saying when you get together to eat and when you're coming together, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I will dwell among you. That is included your own house, your own spouse. They're not separate from you. You're to give thanks for the bread and for the drink. I don't care if it's Coca-Cola. I don't care if it's water. It's in remembrance of him. Why do you think there's so many feasts talked about in the Bible? So many godly feasts. Dinners. I mean, I mean the, it's, it's everywhere. But if you have a problem with self-control, he's even saying before you get there, before you look like a gluttonous fool, Paul's trying to be a little sweet because it's been 11 chapters of Paul beating them over the head with correction because they're awful. I could go into detail. They're not just having these little corrections here and there. Paul's actually very gracious if you read all the other epistles. When it comes to actually in 2 Corinthians, he kind of apologizes. He's like, sorry if I sounded harsh, but I hope you got what I took. I hope you took what I was speaking to you. Sorry if it sounded harsh. He didn't say, oh, sorry for what I said. He said, sorry if it sounded harsh, but it meant, it, I meant it that way on purpose. He even had to apologize for this entire book. This whole letter to the church of Corinth. So when you get to, when you go to eat, it's so easy. But, oh, they're an alcoholic. They're a drug addict. Oh, they're, they're in lust. They watch porn all the time. And this, that, this, that. They're, oh, they're angry and wrathful. They're just mad all the time. They want to fight people and hit people. And then, you know, they have car, carly. What about when you eat? He's saying if, you can't, if you're that hungry before you show up and act like a gluttonous, disrespectful fool before God, eat a snack. That's, he's having to give basic Single instructions like you would to a toddler. We all have toddlers here and brought snacks for them. <laughs> Why? Because they don't have self-control. They're toddlers. And yet here we are like the church of Corinth when he said, I want to feed you meat, but I have to feed you milk. Even though you should be eating meat by now because you are still spiritually immature because you will not surrender to God. You will not surrender to the Holy Spirit. You will not walk in obedience to God. You make excuses for you're not fasting. You make excuses to eat like a garbage can. You make excuses to just down, 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 down caffeine and be up all the time and wondering why you don't even have the strength to pray at night and why you don't have the strength to be in the Word and let the Holy Spirit burn it into you. You make excuses to feed your flesh because you are gluttonous. This word says so. This may be harsh, but it is what you are. If the shoe fits, take it off and repent. <laughs> Mine did. God never called me an alcoholic. Not one time. He said, you are my son. People are praying for you. My hand is on you. You just don't know it yet. I called myself one by drinking every day, all the time. Because I was miserable and running from God. When I realized I was wearing the shoe of an alcoholic, I was like, well, time to take this off. And I did. And I submitted to God and repented for my sins for being gluttonous towards something that would numb me from his voice. Who am I? I don't know if you know this. When you drink, it makes you feel good. It releases chemicals in the head. I'm no, I'm no nurse. I have two of them here, actually, who knows better what I'm saying. 
Did you know when you eat really bad foods for you, it releases the same pleasure in your head? It's the same thing. If you're finding comfort in anything but God, you are gluttonous. Yeah, we know where gluttony comes from. The Romans just eat, 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 eat until they couldn't eat anymore. They drink this syrup made from a root and throw up so they could eat more and more and more while people are starving and dying out in the streets. That's where gluttony comes from. That is not what God's purpose of calling things gluttonous is. Yes, is that a gluttonous spirit? Yes. Doing that's gluttony. What are they doing? An overindulgence of comfort that is not God. If you have to go to anything but your knees to find comfort, you are living gladness. People don't want to hear this, but it's the truth. Your body is not yours to eat and do what you want with it. It's not yours. You want to go work out and exercise and take care of yourself? Good. You're doing it in honor of God. You want to eat right? Great. Is it a sin to eat McDonald's? Heck no. Is it three times a day? Yeah. Is there anything wrong with mashed potatoes and steak? No. Every meal? Yep. You're going to clog your heart up. Call cholesterol. There's a reason that you can't go outside and find steaks cooked on the ground. But everything that is popping out of the ground, you can eat and not overindulge. Amazing how that is, isn't it? Every bit of it. You can even look at the Daniel fast and why he chose to eat of God's food grown instead of the king's meat. Is he saying there's a problem with meat? No. Constantly, God said, there's nothing wrong with me. He even shows uh, Peter a vision. And all the sheets fell down from heaven, all the four-footed animals. He said, all these, you can eat. Call no thing unclean of which I've called clean. It was in the past, you could eat pork, shrimp, bottom feeders, all that stuff. It was unclean. But after Jesus came, he, 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 was, he was saying, guys, that was for a purpose then. That purpose is over. You eat what I've given you. I mean, in Genesis, it talks about all these animals were given unto man under our demon for a dominion for our use. But we've become spoiled. And the thing is, you'll hear a whole bunch of people, America's spoiled. It's not just America. It's a spirit. Spirits don't care what country you're in. Some spirits can, can be a little bit more powerful than other ones in certain places. Sure. We've all seen it. We've all been to certain cities that have a certain feeling about it, a certain dirtiness about it. But if you think all drunkards are going to be in hell, all liars, all adulterers, all witchcraft, and all sorcerers, it's all the gluttons. Do you think you can just sit there and feed your body all you want? And when I say feed, I'm not just talking about food. I want to make that clear. I'm talking about pouring things into yourself. See, the word says it's not what goes into a man that corrupts him. It's what comes out. So that's confusing, isn't it? If alcohol doesn't corrupt me, it's going into my mouth. This word says that. It's either a liar or our understanding's wrong. The word's not a liar. The word is flesh, made flesh in Jesus Christ. So why, if drinking alcohol doesn't corrupt you, why is it a sin? This word of God says to be sober-minded at all times. You can't do that even with one beer. With one beer, you've actually taken it down. I'm not judging people who drink beers. It's not my place. If you're a Christian, you have no business touching it. It's got one purpose, and it's got one purpose only. You're kidding yourself otherwise. You just want an excuse to drink. I've been there. I can say it. So why does drinking alcohol corrupt me if it's not what goes into me that corrupts me? It's why. It's my heart that has a problem. Why do I need it? 
Because what happens in my heart? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's in my heart that makes me need to be gluttonous and addicted to something, I will speak it out because it's in my heart. It's not what goes in. Alcohol is a fermented liquid. It's the sin inside of me that I have not gotten rid of yet. And once you do, you feel the pruning shears come in full force and it hurts. And the second you're done, you stand up and my God, the weight is off. He just pruned every bit of weight and sin off your shoulders and you are clean. It's easy. If you're living this way, repent. Go to God and say, Lord, what is in my heart that needs to be removed? If you already know, then you already know what to pray. Good news. This is a harsh word, but God gave it to me with hope. It's very easy to be deceived in our society that if it's heroin or drinking a tenth a day or a fifth, even worse, that's bad. Oh, that's bad. Don't do that. But it's okay to just sit here and gorge grease. That's fine. It's okay to sit there and just fulfill the lust of the flesh. Even if you are ripped to the bone, if you're just, just staring in the mirror, you're lusting after yourself, and that's actually disgusting. Sorry. You can be proud of yourself. Keep your clothes on, men and women. Especially men. Y'all think y'all just go around naked because you don't have boobs? <laughs> Sorry, it's just true. You can't. Keep your clothes on. It's for their spouse. If you don't have one, that's probably why. Get yourself anointed. Repent. Make yourself worth God sending a spouse to. He's not going to send one of his chosen to someone who lusts after themselves in the world. He won't do it. Stop asking him. If you've been praying for a spouse for over five years, you might want to ask God, why haven't you sent one yet? What are you waiting for in me? So my son, he loves to be outside. Sometimes he has to follow me to the driveway and he loves to look at these rocks. I have this thing, I have this obsession with like quartz and these, these blue little crystals you can just find, especially in gravel. Wild E, my son loves to do it with me. But he'll come up there and step on the gravel driveway and he can't move them more than an inch a second. He's not ready to go. Why? Wow, he needs his shoes on so his feet don't hurt. I can promise you every person listening to me right now and every person in this room right now has something in their mind. And right now, the Holy Spirit is telling you what it is. There's something in your mind you know that you want rid of. It's either in yourself, in your marriage, or both. There's something in the way you've been praying for and it won't go away. There's something hindering your prayers, even for other people. The Holy Spirit's telling you what it is right now. And you need to ask the Holy Spirit why it's there. That was my greatest sin when I drank. When I was an alcoholic, that was my greatest sin. God revealed it to me. It wasn't the drinking. It's, he said to me, son, why did you not ask me why sooner? I would have told you. He said, because the second you asked, I told you, and you repented right then and there. The Lord's asking you the same thing. His word tells you to be in his word. This word tells you to be seeking his voice. This word tells you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and to reveal to you what needs to leave. This word tells you to do that. What is your excuse? You just like the taste? If your comfort is coming anything from anything but the comforter, you are in sin. You are telling Christ, Lord, what you died for and whom the Father sent in place of me is not enough. This burger is, though. It sounds silly. It makes you want to laugh. But people are living that way and wondering why they're dying. Again, I'm going to read it right here. In 1 Corinthians 11, I'm just going to read from 27 down. No, 29. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you and have fallen asleep. 
That should wake every person up. If you don't believe me, if you're mad at me, fine. You're really mad at God. You're making an excuse for someone to point at. Open your Bible up and read it. If you don't believe it, you're not a Christian, I promise. If you don't like the word, you're not a Christian. David's a perfect example. He said, Lord, I love your love for they protect me. They destroy my enemies and they make me closer to you. I'm paraphrasing, but he says it all the time. He said, Lord, I love your direction. I love your correction. And David had to be corrected. So are you sick and do you have ill among you? Are people dying around you? And no matter how much you pray and lay on hands like this word tells you to do, nothing's happening. It might be because you are literally casting judgment on yourself and you are sinning against Christ himself. This word says so because you're not honoring God. Your food and your drink comes from God. He is Jehovah Jireh. You are not. I don't care how many jobs you work. I don't care what your payments look like. I don't care what your bills are. I don't care how much money you have in the bank. You are not your own provider if you call Christ Lord. If you call him Lord, you call the Father, Father, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the living God, because that's what he is. But that means everything else this Bible says he is, is true. If none of it is, you just like the idea of it. You like the idea of going to heaven. So you can just, you know, live how you want, right? But if you're wondering why you're still in defeat, you're still wondering, well, but you're not doing these active, normal sins you might be thinking of. Ask the Holy Spirit, why haven't you? What excuse do you have? I didn't have one. The Lord, was he corrected me and showed me grace at the same time because he told me while I was even drinking. And when I saw it for what it was, the weight hit me of what I was doing, how bad I was sinning against me and God. I'm going to say it again. How bad I was sinning against me and God, I can prove it. Don't you, you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him. For God's sanctuary is holy, and that is what you are. Guys, that is a warning and a blessing at the same time. He's telling you, you house the Holy Spirit. You are holy. You have been baptized in fire and spirit you house god himself the holy spirit is as much lord like i preached on sun on easter sunday as christ and the father and you are destroying where he resides in here one of the things jesus paid for on that cross your body was not yours it is god's and it's for his purpose i can promise you you may be called to be a missionary across the whole world that's going to be hard at 450 pounds it is. It may be hard to even find a place to sit on a plane because you have to have two seats. You may have breathing problems and you get to those high altitudes. It might make it even worse because you're so overweight or you have worked out or you're, you're just caught full of cholesterol because all you eat are deep, fatty, fried foods. I love deep, fat, fatty, fried foods. I love them. But I can't eat them all the time. I will not have strength to do anything. We have to take care of ourselves because our bodies used to be just flesh. But it says I'm a new creation in Christ in the old it's been put away. The old is gone. Dead. So why is sin still living in you? Why is, why is there still a hindrance? There is still a hindrance because you're supposed to be a new creation. The old is supposed to be passed away, but you're still feeding parts of it. Well, I don't cuss no more. Okay, great. Great, that's, that's part of sanctification. Good, great. 
If you slip up and do, that's okay. The words just said, don't, don't speak anything unedifying. Don't, don't let any vulgarity come out of your mouth. And if it does, repent. Ask the Lord why it's there. Why are you so angry? I've had to. If you stub your toe and have to say the S word every single time, something might be wrong. And that's little things. This is bigger. Because when you destroy your own body, God will destroy you. This is word. This is scripture. And you wonder why you feel horrible. You wonder why that thing you keep praying for ain't happening. He said there are people who are falling sick and ill and dying just because they're not honoring God and how they eat. He doesn't even say they're being gluttonous. He said they're showing up and they're dishonoring, just shoving food down their mouth and getting drunk and partying. They're supposed to be there in remembrance and honoring Christ. And he's, the word of God says that you are sinning against Christ himself, against his body, his flesh, and his blood. He says you're sinning against Christ himself. And they're not even just sitting there gorging. It's just the spirit behind it. They're there to feel good and ain't get drunk and just shove food down the throat. You're supposed to be in remembrance of Jesus. Why can't you do that every time you eat? Well, we thank you for your body and we thank you for your blood broken and shed for us. And I thank you, Lord, for your provision. Thank you for your blessings, Lord. Bless this food to nourish our body. It sounds so cheesy. But is that not why he gives it to us? He knows we need food. But anything in abundance is sin because it's all gluttony. Anything in abundance that's not of God is gluttony. Everything in abundance that is of God is just who he is because he's able to do abundantly more than you ask or think. And with that being said, if you want something out of your life, if you're sick and being a certain way, if you're making excuses for yourself, he's able to do abundantly more than you ask or think. So ask him, Lord, reveal it to me and help me get it gone. Show me how to repent and turn from this. How to make me strong. Lord, why am I not finding comfort in you? Why am I finding comfort in other things? Why am I finding comfort even in my spouse? They're supposed to be there for comfort. That's part of the blessing. But if they're your only comfort, you're slapping God in the face. The Holy Spirit is named Comforter. Chase Tinker, I am not the Holy Spirit. I'm filled with him. I am his servant. And the comfort that I give my wife when she's in time, you know how I give my wife comfort? I'll tell you, she will say the same thing. I go and I pray. I say, Holy Spirit, what should I say to my wife? And I know it's him every time because it always leads back to Jesus. It always leads back to prayer. It always leads back to encouragement. Even when repentance is there, repentance is to make you whole. It's not to shame you. Repentance makes you whole. So that's why in Romans it says God's goodness and mercy is intended to lead men to repentance. And that sounds like a sweet verse, and it is. But that's in the middle of Paul berating them and correcting them as well. Because he says, don't you know? Because that's literally how he says it. So the good news is, all you have to do is ask the Lord, Lord okay, Lord, why is it there? Don't make my mistake when I drink. Don't make my mistake and not ask God, why am I doing it? No one gets to sin. And trying to serve God at the same time and wondering why nothing's taking off. Wondering why I'm not hearing new revelation. Wondering why when I read the Bible, it's like I'm just reading a kid's book. And I and it's not that I don't believe it. I just can't get anything from it because this word is alive. That's why atheists can read the whole thing. They can know the Bible better than Christians. Yet the Christians are living an abundant life because they believe what they're reading. Atheists are using it to try to beat people up. And disprove Christians for some reason. Even though this is where their faith comes from, it makes no sense. It's, 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 it's just ridiculous. So it's like telling somebody fried chicken's bad after they're chewing on it saying how good it is. It makes no sense. But the good news is repentance is to make you whole, is to make you holy, is to make you closer to him. Just remember this. Your body is not your own, praise God. If my body was still my own, my brains would be splattered on the side of an apartment somewhere in Chattanooga right now. I tried. 
The psalmist always pleading the blood of Jesus over me. When they do that, guess what that means? That means that I am covered by the blood of Jesus, whether I know it yet or not. It's called grace and it's called mercy. And you know what it did? It led me to repentance. It's precious. Repentance is sweet. Correction is sweet. That means you're loved. I've preached about that enough. The Father corrects those he loves. You guys, if you're sick of being sick, if you're, if you're sick of being ill, if you're sick of people dying around you, if you're sick of laying on hands and nobody's being healed, you might want to ask the Holy Spirit what's in the way. If you have the faith to believe in the Word tells you to lay on hands and the sick will be healed, and they're not, ask the Lord why. Some people don't ask the Lord why because they're afraid of the answer. But then an answer whether it, requ- whether it requires repentance or not will set you free. And every person you encounter from then on without a hindrance, if God has gifted you in healing, and every time you lay your hands on to heal and nobody gets healed, the second what's hindering that is left, every person you meet will see the face of Jesus. When people were healed by Jesus himself, they didn't even say, that was cool. When he touched them, they knew who he was. They called him Lord and went off praising God. They didn't just say, thanks for the new lives and take off and go to the bar. They didn't do that. They went to every single person they could find and proclaimed God. Because when you have a gift of healing, it's the Holy Spirit giving you that gift. First Corinthians 12, if you want to do a study on it, I've preached on it before, not here. I may do another teaching on it one day because it's very pertinent to the whole body of Christ. But um, when he gives you a, a gift, it's the Holy Spirit doing it through you. But I love you guys. Um, if there's anything anybody wants prayer for, um, y'all can come up. We'll, we'll pray that. We're about to turn the camera off. If there's anything that you just want to be praying in agreement with, if there's anything that you just want to come up to the office and pray for it by yourself, you can. You got it.